0: The Irish movement, um, De Valera, when he arrived, there was a small uh, Irish group called the Irish Progressive League, which was a, a socialist-leaning, left-leaning leaning small group in New York, and um, that had ties to uh, the the new Russian uh, um, government. And uh, to the extent that De Valera, you know, sought recognition initiated the process of seeking recognition from the Russian government. Now, the, the the leaders in Ireland, his other cabinet members warned against that, saying that it's all right to initiate contacts, but don't seek formal recognition from Russia um until recognition has got from America for the so you know,
1: for the obvious reasons hello and welcome to episode 67 of the Irish baseball podcast I'm your host Rick Becker you just heard from Patrick O'Sullivan Green author of Revolution at the Waldorf Patrick was my guest in episode 66 and we will conclude our conversation on the show today when we left things off O'Sullivan Green was discussing the culture in Ireland during the debate on whether to ratify the treaty to create the Irish Free State. That is where we're going to pick things up in today's episode. I actually recently
0: listened to the treaty debates in in that young Irish parliament, and uh, it's a subject I I don't claim any expertise on. Um, But what I did notice on that was the respect on both sides, both pro-treaty and anti-treaty. And I can actually, you know, and it's it's quite interesting now, we have, you know, the coronation of King Charles and there's a controversy even in England about taking the oath of allegiance. So uh, people who are anti-treaty, you know, it's I can certainly see the side of that. You know, I can't possibly take an oath of allegiance to the English king after you know fighting the War of Independence, after friends, brothers, uncles, aunts, you know, getting killed in 1916. But equally on the pro treaty side, you know, it, it it was an absolute stepping stone, and I would, you know, see that that pro treaty side as being the as, as being the path to the republic as the stepping stone, but being anti-treaty, I can fully absolutely understand, you know, on the oath issue and on the view that you were signing away the Republic. So they were, you know, there was equally honourable men on both sides. Then I would come to De Valera <laughs> and I mean, he was neither pro-treaty or anti-treaty. And, um, you know, I think I would have concerns that, um, you know, one of the things that happened in America happened in Ireland, that there was people willing, to, De Valera thought he might have been the, uh, the band leader, uh, the conductor, but very often he was used um, and being used um, by other parties in America, it was the minority faction trying to get the, the coup against Kohalan and Davoy, and in Ireland it was the anti-Treaty side. Even though he didn't necessarily agree with all the anti-Treaty, and he had he had given the treaty negotiators an oath in advance, and um, he had uh, which was pretty much the same as the final oath. And, you know, as you said, he accepted a treaty in the end as the path to the republic. It's complicated, difficult, but I wish people had more respect for both sides. Pro-treaty, seeing that the the anti-treaty guys were honourable people and, you know, fully honourable people. And also that the the anti-treaty people see the pro-treaty side that this is a way uh, to the future of Ireland. And I think one of the best lines uh, of that... um, period was by Orta Griffith and Michael Collins echoed it as well was, have we any duty to the present generation? Like they weren't concerned about past generations and future generations. They wanted a life in Ireland for the current generation. And um, if I could go on a slight aside, um, uh, you know, Michael Collins became head of that pro-treaty provisional government in 1922. And he was inter- interviewed by an American journalist, uh, Hayden Talbot. And uh, who actually wrote a book of the interview and part of that interview, Collins uh, describes how he nearly went to America in 1914 to achieve the one thing he wanted, a fair chance to get ahead. And that's sometimes lost in all the 800 years and, and you know, freedom fighting. In the end, it was a chance for a group of young people to actually build their own country and control their own tax, control their own interest rate, banking policy, trade. Um, they were the things that, uh, that Collins would have been uh, most concerned about, certainly not oats.
1: All right. So trying to phrase this question in the right way is definitely a little tricky, but I want to go back to De Era in the United States trying to get recognition from the US for the Irish Republic. And then, even after De Valera returned, unsuccessfully getting that recognition, there were definitely some ties between De Valera's faction, the government they tried to set up in Ireland and declare the Republic, and the Bolsheviks in Russia. And that obviously would have been a strike against them when it came to getting recognition from the United States, first from Wilson, but then through successive administrations. To start, I mentioned about,
0: you know, uh, De Valera arriving into this maelstrom that was America in 1919. And, you know, the Bolshevik Revolution happened in 1917 or the Russian Revolution. So America was undergoing uh, an absolute red scare and, um, you know, post the war as well, there were a lot of uh, labor strikes, police, uh, coal, steel unions, all striked. And um, so the, the Irish movement, um, de Valera, when he arrived, there was a small uh, Irish group called the Irish Progressive League, which was a, a socialist-leaning, left-leaning small group in New York. And um that had ties to uh, the the new Russian uh, um, government. And uh, to the extent that de Valera, you know sought rec- initiated the process of seeking recognition from the Russian government. Now the the, the leaders in Ireland, his other cabinet members warned against that saying that it's all right to initiate contacts but don't seek formal recognition from Russia um, until recognition has got from America for the you know, for the obvious reasons. but uh, so the relationships were so close between some of the, the you know de Valera's mission uh, that the uh, the the Bolshevik government in Russia approached the Irish government, and for a loan, and a loan of $20,000 was given to the Russians um, with Russian jewels as collateral for that loan. And uh, it was later in 1949 that uh, the uh, jewels were returned to uh, what was then the, uh, the Soviet government. But it, it, it was critical that, you know, the, the relationship with Russia for Judge Kohal and John Devoy would have been a no-no. Um, and you know th- that was part of the split that this minority group, and 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 people who spoke at that min- at, at meetings of the Irish Progressive League, wrote letters to the the Bolsheviks in America saying, "I've got great ties to the people who represent Ireland uh, in America." So, you know, there was an element of being used as well. So, like, this was all part of a fascinating, you know, period in America that this uh, fledgling Irish mission (laughs) found
1: itself trying to navigate the tricky waters of domestic American politics. Being from New York and being more of a left-leaning organization, was the Irish Progressive League having something to do with James Connolly? Because I know he came over well before this and was a very popular speaker in the labor movement in New York during his time. And he started many organizations for both Irish independence and for some of these more left-leaning causes. Yeah. What's interesting about the Irish Progressive
0: League, it was, it it, it just, you know, from the research I've done, it looks like most of the leadership uh, and, you know, the membership were actually Irish born. Um, So it, 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 it was slightly, um, different to the the Irish American organizations you know the friends of Irish freedom you know clan gael and um so you know th- th- there was always um you know a strong you know part of the you know the strong um socialist element to the Irish revolution um you know from the irish citizens army etc you know james connolly uh, uh, uh. so i think it's only natural and maybe it's an area that's not discussed uh, enough or maybe studied enough is the you know how much of the and I touched upon it how much of the split in the movement in in Irish America was related to the the, the left or right viewpoint um and I I think certainly would have been a factor the Irish Progressive League was very aggressive in its pursuit of Irish independence in America probably to its own detriment Whereas John Devoy and Judge Co-Hallan were knew how to play Washington and knew that even if you didn't like President Wilson, you don't criticize a war president at the time of war. So they stopped, whereas the arts progressively continued to attack Britain and attack President Wilson uh, during the war, which was really a strategy that was not going to play out well in in the end.
1: You also have the book Crowdfunding the Revolution. Where is the focus different in this work than in Revolution at the Waldorf? So Crowdfunding the Revolution
0: is based on the, the funding. So the the, the fledgling Irish government, which was established in January 1919, uh, decided that it needed money because democracy is expensive. And in particular for propaganda, but also they wanted to set up their own um, industrial um, base and develop the resources of Ireland. And that Irish government was very, very economic focused and and, and largely because it was young people who wanted to get on. And at the time, for example, at the time, all trade into Ireland with the rest of the world was forced to go through English ports. Um, uh, Taxation that was raised in Ireland went to England and distributed back to Ireland. The the banks were pretty much, you know, uh, banking deposits were invested in London rather than Ireland. So the the new government needed funding. And so they decided to raise half their new funding. They decided to raise... uh, um, £500,000 at the time, of which half would be raised in America, and half in Ireland, and the crowdfunding revolution concerns the fundraising in Ireland, and which is really interesting because it was a story that's almost lost to history. I remember when I was writing the book, I was telling people, because it was the first time I had written the book, I, I, I said, guys, listen, I don't know whether I can write this book or not, but I tell you the story is amazing. And I even gave up work to write this story. And so, like, the traditional viewpoint is, is that, you know, Michael Collins, the Irish Minister for Finance, the, the head of the Intelligence Department, um, you know, did all his work from the back of a bicycle, you know, set up a new state, you know, organized intelligence and military. Whereas, in fact, nothing it, it, it could be further from the truth. It was extremely professional organization. And as part of the fundraising in Ireland, despite the fundraising being illegal, they they issued 400,000 prospectus, uh, 3 million promotional leaflets, 50,000 customized letters, produced a seven minute promotional film, which was effectively the internet of the time. And um, you know, took out full, uh, arranged to take out full-page newspaper advertisements until those newspapers were suppressed when they published the the, the ads. So it, it's a fascinating story of how you know a, a bunch of young, motivated, all in their twenties guys, girls. Like the, the, the role of of uh, women in, in 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 the administration is phenomenal. And um, like I'm even working a third project about a. Um, uh, what I call a young girl at the time, Eilish Ryan, um, who, you know, was there was nothing in the Irish revolutionary period between 1916 and 1922 that she just was not directly involved in. So this is a story of young, motivated uh, people who successfully raised um, the equivalent of $25 million today um, at a time when if anybody was caught with her... Uh, oh, and by the way, everybody who subscribed... Uh, From the four corners of Ireland was given a receipt, even though if you were found with uh, a brochure, a prospectus, a receipt, anything connected to that, you would be immediately arrested.
1: Uh, It's a phenomenal story. You do bring up a very underappreciated point, and that is the role that women played in the Irish Revolution. It was something that I don't think I realized fully until I was in Ireland and going to visit some of these sites. The women played a role in this revolution more than any historical, at least as much as any other major historical event I've ever researched. They are all over this story, and it's not told all the time.
0: So it, that's interesting because, you know, we're just coming to the end of celebrating the centenary of the revolutionary period. And, the, you know, a huge amount of uh, resource has gone into highlighting the role that women played in the, the in that revolutionary period. And it certainly, um, you know, I could have written crowdfunding the revolution by excluding women. In the in the funding campaign in Ireland, uh, and in the, in the in the government administration, if I'd written it twenty years ago, I question myself: Would I have done that research? Because it is actually it was much harder to research the role of women um, than men, because the role of men is is very much more documented. And um and I actually did deliberately go out of my way to 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 look at the the, the the focus of women and it turns out it was actually probably the most interesting part of the book. And as I said, this this um this you know I love the story of this Eilish Rhine. So Eilish Rhine is no different than my journey, my my current niece's journey in their 20s. Country girls um move to Dublin, get a job. Have a social life, um you know, get on well with their life. um but she also, you know do you know spent all her time uh, uh, working with you know, whether it be at the underground government, whether it was the first elections that you know elected the the first Dole MPs or the first doll Tds, the 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 um, the elected representatives. So, like the example I give, she had a she, Eilish Ryan had a successful job. She this is 1920. She had a she had a good job. She just got promoted, as she says herself. She had bright career prospects. And Michael Collins went to her and said, uh, "Would you come work for the underground doll government, uh, in particular the Department of Finance?" And she said, "You know, of course." So with a, with a blink of an eye, she just threw away her, her, her career. And um, that's just really hard to comprehend how somebody, I think at the time she's 24, um, you know, uh, how, how she did that. And by the way, you know, the, the, Department, of, the Department of Finance sounds quite grand. It was actually uh, two offices above a shop on a small, narrow retail street in Dublin at the time. And only one person was allowed to leave, uh, come downstairs at a time and leave the uh, the building because if two came down it would have felt it would have attracted attention
1: and that they had already been raided, raided and Eileen would have been under constant threat of arrest does that also say something not only of her personality but also michael collins and the other members of the irish government that they were willing to reach out to women that they didn't make this an all boys club. That this was supposed to be an Ireland for all Irish people.
0: Yeah, I suppose it, you know the, the there was an organi- organization at the time called Common na which was um, a, you know a quasi military oper- uh, organization which which supported you know the the, the revolution, and um, so it was a case of you know I don't think I don't think it was possible that. Uh, the War of Independence, you know, could have taken place or, or certainly wouldn't have been, you know, the, the success, um, you know, that, that, that came about without the support of Common Amman. And uh, the, you know, there's a lots of debate and it's way outside my field uh, of, of, of view was of, um, you know, was there a change in the attitude to women um, after the treaty uh, and in a more conservative Ireland? and you know it's something i'm going to investigate with uh, eilish ryan just to see you know this this you know uh, lady with bright career prospects did they materialize uh, did she marry and maybe forced to quit her job I, I really don't have that detail at the moment
1: well patrick i think that means when you have this next project completed we are gonna have to talk again this was such a fantastic conversation It was so interesting. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank
0: you, Rick. That's been great. Cheers.
1: Visit irishbaseball.org for information on becoming a member of the Irish American Baseball Society, details about the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, and updates on the Irish Wolfhounds baseball team. I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 67 of the Irish Baseball Podcast.